Bibles to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, and uh, continuing in our evening series in the Psalms of Ascent, or the Songs of Ascent. Um, This is the uh, eighth one, Psalm 128. And I'm going to try to be somewhat brief tonight, but I'm sure you'll be blessed by this psalm, as the psalm says. Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Heavenly Father, help us to listen to you, to your word, to these words written by the psalmist, a person none of us knows, uh, History is forgotten, yet a person you have chosen to speak through to your people, to write these words, words which have instructed and encouraged and confronted your people throughout the ages. We pray that these words would instruct and encourage and even confront us tonight. Lord, please be with us this evening, and as I speak your word, I pray that my words would be your words and that your words would go forth to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There used to be a term you would hear um, in Christianity or throughout the context of the local church, a, a term concerning someone, a term of respect, a term of dignity and honor. And it was a term which uh, several decades ago you would even hear within our wider culture. It was a term that people would often say of a man that was of the highest character. A man who would be called a God-fearing man. A man that other people would look up to. That was different. People would say, that's a God-fearing man right there. Someone to be respected, to be followed. And the Bible says a lot about the fear of the Lord. And the principle of fearing God is is found all throughout the Bible, particularly in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, in uh, the Old Testament law. I mean, for instance, I I mean, just the the book of Proverbs itself um, starts with uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All throughout the book of Proverbs, there is um, this compare and contrast we see in these principles of wisdom. And and right here, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge contrasted with 
um, that that attitude or that demeanor of fools who despise wisdom and instruction. That's where all knowledge starts. All wisdom starts with fearing God. That's why um, Solomon, he wrote that book, all those Proverbs, um, he wrote them to instruct his children, to instruct young men, to instruct them how to be men of character, to um, be men that would be um, fitting to rule to be in the administration of government, to be um, respectable men. And in order to be that type of man, it starts with fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord. Proverbs 14, 14 verse 2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Proverbs 28.14, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. This psalm is, is all about the God-fearing man and the blessings that, by way of principle, he will experience. It, it, it's not an exact, it's not, um, you know, uh, this for that or, you know, a certainty. If you do X, Y, and Z, you will experience A, B, and C. But it is a principle, a truism. Almost as if a, a, a proverb that for those who fear the Lord, they will experience these blessings. Or in some sort of way, it's, you know, if not physical, if not in this world, blessings in this world, material blessings, certainly spiritual blessings. And as this psalm begins, it's, it's sort of a beatitude. Those, we, we're familiar with those beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Um, as Jesus begins his uh, sermon on the mount, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are um, the, the peacemakers. And he goes through all these blessings. And, and this is, in a sense, in that same vein of truth, a beatitude, a blessing upon those who fear the Lord. Dr. Will Varner, in his devotional commentary, Awake, O Harp, he says this about this psalm. He says, The blessings of a godly life are traced from the center outwards in this psalm as the focus moves from the godly man to his family and finally to all of Israel. Portrayed here is a Simple piety with its fruit of stability, fruitfulness, and peace. So it's not just the, the man himself, the individual, but you see in verses 1 and 2, it starts with the individual, and then 3 and 4, it works outward to his, his family, his wife, his children, his household, and, and then um, the prayer to um, all of Israel, the community, and then his legacy. It starts with the individual God-fearing man and almost not just the blessings he will experience, but the blessing he will be to his family and to his community because he fears the Lord. And in this song of a sense, we see not only this principle of blessing for those who fear the Lord, but we see it in the context of two forms of godly communication. Two forms of 
communication which we hear, which we see, which we experience in church and Christianity, those two forms of proclamation and prayer, of preaching and prayer, of proclaiming God's word and praying to God. So we see first the psalmist's proclamation of blessing in verses 1 to 4, and then second, the psalmist's prayer of blessing. And so that's how we will divide this psalm up. That's typically how uh, many scholars see it and, and grammatically. And so that's how we will look at this psalm. The psalmist first, the psalmist's proclamation of blessing in verses 1 to 4, and then the psalmist's prayer for blessing in verses 5 to 6. But first, the psalmist's proclamation of blessing. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so he starts right off the bat in, in, in verse 1 with, with a principle. With a, a principle um, from which the rest of the psalm flows. The principle of the blessed. The principle of the blessed. And he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who understand that they are not their own creation. They are not the captain of their own ship. They are not the, um, the one who decides their own destiny. That they are a creation. They are created by Almighty God, that they are under the authority of God. They live in God's world. They didn't create themselves. They don't chart their own life. We do make plans. We do um, work. We do, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, seek counsel concerning our lives. And, and we do make decisions. But ultimately, God is in control. And those who fear the Lord, they understand that. And that's why they fear the Lord, because there is a God, there is a Lord, there is a Creator. And we are accountable to Him. He has created us, and He has created us for a purpose. We are to submit to that purpose. Old Testament scholar Dr. William Barrick, he writes this concerning the fear of the Lord. He says this, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, we learn that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. The beginning of wisdom, Psalm 1.11. And even wisdom itself, Job 28.28. He goes on to say, the fear of the Lord includes trusting in the Lord, being forgiven by Him, delighting in His word, keeping His word, hating evil, and hoping in His loyal love goes on to say, Scripture associates the fear of the Lord with blessing. All throughout the Psalms, mostly we see this in the Psalms and the Proverbs, that, that wisdom literature. You know, uh, there's, there's different, in, in a sense, different genres of Scripture. There's, there's narrative, there's um, prophecy, there's gospels, there's epistles. But there's also this wisdom literature that... Um, uh, you know, scholars, theologians um, have uh, 
in a sense, categorize the scriptures. And we, we see it, I mean, just grammatically. Psalms and Proverbs fall into that category of wisdom literature. Also, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And it's primarily in those books which we see the fear of the Lord. It's, it's the key principle of wisdom. All knowledge, all wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Understanding that you are accountable to someone. You are accountable to God Himself. That you are His creation. We are to fear Him. When we do that, we seek Him. We follow Him. We obey Him. We trust Him. So this this proclamation starts with the principle of, um, of the blessed, those who fear the Lord. It says, blessed are those who fear the Lord. But it, it also um, implies something else, not just that in fearing the Lord, not just that there is this, this fear, this reverential awe, this um, sometimes even a trembling, but blessed are those who know the Lord. Because he says, who walked, uh, uh, everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, who obeys him, who knows him. Psalm 25, verse 12 to 14 says this, says this, who, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. So it, it, it's interesting that, you know, some of us, we can um, look back on our, our testimonies and, and one of, the, one of the things that, you know, as the Lord was drawing us to himself, um, you know, just prior to our conversion, there was a sense of fear. Primarily, that fear was a fear of judgment, a fear of hell, and rightfully so. But there's also this fear of God that was in our hearts and in our minds. This dread, this, this uh, awe this conviction that we're accountable to the Almighty God of the universe. This fear of the Lord, and it's almost as if he has, He's placed that fear within us and drawing us to Himself and converting us and convicting us. And even as we read the Bible, as we do our personal devotions, as we pray, there is a sense of fear and awe. There should be. Now, this is the word of Almighty God. These, these are the very words of God. This is like no other book. As, as some people have said, you know, uh, I read other books, but this book reads me. It reads me. Because it, it explains things about me that no one else would know. It explains things about the world that, that we couldn't figure out ourselves. That it just makes things crystal clear. And in that, there's, there's a sense of fear and awe. You know, it, it, it's interesting, like, you know, you ever have someone who has um, found out a secret about you that you did not want to, them to know? Or, or you, you, get caught, <laughs> you get caught gossiping. That's not a good day, <laughs> you know? And, and yet, God knows our inner thoughts and our inner being, you know, he, more so than our 
you know, gossip or a slander of someone else or the whispering or evil thoughts about someone else. You know, we think of some of the evil thoughts we have thought about someone else, and if they found out, we would be crushed. But God knows even deeper things about us. We see that when we read the Word of God. But there is a blessing in that fear. That fear draws us to God for forgiveness, for repentance, for uh, cleansing, for to be made, not, be made right, to be made new. So blessed are those who fear the Lord, but also blessed are those who know the Lord, and blessed are those who obey the Lord. It's all flow from one to the other, fearing the Lord, knowing the Lord, and obeying the Lord. And so we see this principle of the blessed in verse 1. And then second, we see the prosperity of the blessed. Verse 2, he goes on, he says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Shall be well with you. This is you know, the result of the man who fears the Lord, the woman who fears the Lord, people who fear the Lord. He says, the psalmist says, he will be productive. He will be productive. And even, even in Psalm 1, uh, you know, for, for um, the man in that psalm as well, starts off with, in a sense, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, nor, uh, nor uh, stands in the, in the way of sinners, or, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There, there's this blessedness, and Psalm 1 says, in all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. There's, there's a correlation. Those who fear the Lord and, and those who delight in his law, it goes hand in hand. And the result is that you, you should prosper. You should be productive. And maybe not always in a material sense. You know, certainly we know Christians who struggle in their careers, in their workplaces, um, some who it's, they're, they're just waiting for the next trial, the next challenge, the next upset. And certainly, you know, we all have our fair share of trials and challenges and upsets, but more often than not, those who are godly, those who um, obey God, who fear God, they're, they're the type of people you would want as an employee. They're the type of people that get along well with others. They're the type of people that, um, in a sense, others like to work alongside of, others like to have as a neighbor. And in that, there is prosperity. There's productivity. Maybe, not, maybe they don't have all the material blessings that they would like, a big house and a nice car and, and all the toys of this modern age, but they're productive, they're, they're prosperous, especially in a spiritual sense. He goes on to say he, he will, he will uh, in a sense, enjoy the, the results of his labor. Uh, he, will, he will be able to see um, the product of his work. And some of us, we, we work in, in certain careers and, and uh, certain jobs where we don't always see the results of our labor. Um, and it's, you know, especially for me, I, I don't always see the results of my labor. Um, 
And it's nice to go and, and build something, and then right, right away you see what you built. And you, you, there's a satisfaction in that. One commentator, he writes this, he says, One result of the fall was that Adam would have to work hard to get food on the table. Uh, you know, Genesis 3, he said, thorns and thistles, it, it will, it, you know, the, the earth will produce. And, and from the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. He goes on and says, the preacher of Ecclesiastes was driven to despair because some people labored while others, less deserving, enjoyed the benefits of their labor. And then he says, the psalmist envisions the righteous prospering from their own labor, a just situation. And, and like I said in the beginning, you know, these aren't guarantees, but they're principles. There's truths, just like, just like the rest of the book of Proverbs. Um, they're, they're general truths, general principles which we apply to our lives. And, and if, if the, the godly man who fears the Lord doesn't see material prosperity or material blessing, certainly he will see spiritual blessing. And, and in the, the most important place, the home. The home. So we see the, the prosperity of the blessed in the workplace and in his own work, he says, it shall be well with you. But then he goes on, verse 3, he says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. We see the, the progeny of the blessed here in verses 3 to 4. We've seen the principle of the blessed, verse 1, the prosperity of the blessed, verse 2, and now we see the progeny of the blessed, verses 3 to 4. And Right off, they, they, they come from a fruitful marriage. One of the, one of the key results or key um, benefits of fearing the Lord is you follow Him, you know Him, you obey Him, and from that, you should have good relationships. Primarily, the closest one, your marriage. You know, it, it's um, interesting. I, I've heard a couple different preachers, and they, they talk about marriage and, and one of them, which I've heard, um, he has spoken a lot on marriage, and um, he always goes back to the second great commandment. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> he says, you know, if we get the basics of Christianity, the basic, um, you know, commands for discipleship, for loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves, our marriages should go well. Just being a godly Christian, a godly person, an obedient Christian. Our relationships should just flow from that. Uh, flow, good relationships should flow out of that, rather. And, he, you know, the psalmist says here, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Within your house. This is um, almost is speaking of... Um, of Fertility of um, children, that, that, um, and especially in this um, agrarian culture, this agricultural um, uh, nation, society, that children were, they were not only a blessing, but they're almost a requirement. They're almost a requirement. We, we think, you know, a, a couple generations ago, you know, people had large families. 
And, and more often than not, they had large families because they had farms. And, and they needed help. <laughs> but also because of you know, the, the um, you know, infant mortality rate. But, you know, the, your, your children, they, they, would, they would help out on the family farm. You, you would be fruitful and prosperous, uh, you know, with the more children you have. And, and this is part of the blessing of um, those who fear the Lord is, is that they would have a fruitful marriage and a fruitful wife. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, is to be praised. It's not just that, that the, the God-fearing man's wife would be a fruitful vine and bear many children, but that this also implies that she herself would be a, a God-fearing woman, would be faithful, would be um, one who fears the Lord, would be one who is, uh, is devout is obedient. And certainly this is Proverbs 31, and, and uh, you know, sometimes a, a lot of ladies can look at Proverbs 31 and, and, and just, you know, get d- discouraged <laughs> because it's such a high standard and, and um, think, well, no woman could be like that or, or, you know, is that even a real woman? And, you know, certainly there's some principles that every woman can apply but really what Solomon is, is doing, you know, he, he's writing down um, that is, in a sense, uh, alludes to um, the wisdom given from his mother. And, and really, as the rest of Proverbs goes, there's a compare and contrast. One, the Proverbs 31 woman is actually um, contrasted with the forbidden woman all throughout Proverbs. It's, in a sense, saying, saying, don't go after those women. This is the type of woman you want. One who fears the Lord. And she is to be praised. And she will be fruitful. He says, says your, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. They, they, in a sense, and you have to understand a little bit about olive trees and olive shoots. That um, The shoots of the trees, they... they of the olive trees, they spring up out of the roots. They spring up um, around the tree. They spring up suddenly and numerously. Um, it, it's a it's a fast fastly reproducing tree. In the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, it says this concerning olive trees: it says the tree grows very slowly, but it attains a great age. It is difficult to kill the olive tree by cutting it down because new sprouts are sent up from the root and all around the margins of the old stump, often forming a grove of two to five trunks, all from a single root which originally supported only one tree. So that children are like olive shoots that eventually will replace the original tree. And there's some olive trees that are hundreds of years old. But the sprouts, they shoot up all around. And this is, in a sense, what the psalmist is saying, that your children will be like olive shoots all around your table. They'll just spring up. You, It'll be a fruitful home. They are, in a sense, a blessing from God. Just as, you know, 
We can't cause plants to grow. Certainly we can water them and we can um, put them in, in soil, but it's you know, God that brings the growth. As that, that illustration is used in the New Testament. These children, they're a blessing from God. Psalm 112 um, says this, verses 1 to 3, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. This is, this is a characteristic of the person who fears the Lord. And, and yet, as I said, this, this is a principle. It's not exactly true because you know, we live in a fallen world. And some of us, you know, there's infertility. There's uh, singleness. There's uh, sin. People sin against us. There's divorce. There's children who uh, leave the home, who uh, reject the faith. But generally speaking, those who fear the Lord, they will be fruitful. They will be prosperous. They will experience a, a, a fruitful um, career, a fruitful workplace. They will be fruitful in the home, have a fruitful marriage. They will be blessed. I like what Alan Ross writes in his commentary concerning this blessedness. He says this, The word for blessing, um, also in Psalm 1, can include the idea of happiness. But it has the basic meaning of the joy or bliss that comes from knowing that one is right with God and that the blessings are from heaven. This fear is a reverential fear for the Lord. It is exhibited by worship and obedience. The term indicates both an attraction to and a shrinking back from the object. The attraction to the Lord is adoration for the majesty and power and glory of the Lord. The shrinking back is the acknowledgement that he is a sovereign judge of all the earth and must be obeyed. This is what the, the fear of the Lord is. It's, it's an acknowledgement of who he is, both in his power and his justice and his wrath and his sovereignty, but also in his love and his mercy and his grace, his wisdom, his forgiveness, that there is this, both this attraction and this shrinking back. That we fear him because who he is as God, but there's also this reverential attitude of awe. And uh, almost as if, uh, in a sense, a fatherly fear. And so, in this first half of the psalm, we see the psalmist's proclamation of blessing, the principle of the blessed, the prosperity of the blessed, and then the progeny of the blessed. And second, we see the psalmist's prayer. For blessing. After he proclaims the blessing of the Lord on those who fear him, then he prays for blessing. Verse 5, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And in praying for blessing upon the people to whom the psalmist just issued this proclamation, he is saying one of two things. He's saying one of two things here, that either they are those who fear the Lord, those, those he, he is, um, in a sense, pronouncing blessing upon or praying for blessing, or that they may be those type of people who fear the Lord. 
Either they are those people who fear the Lord or that they might be those people who fear the Lord. He said, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And so he prays uh, first for this national prosperity and then he prays for a familial prosperity, for prosperity in the nation and then for prosperity in the family. And in a sense, he's praying for the nation, the nation in which the God-fearing man resides. The Lord bless you from Zion, from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem. And it's almost as if he's saying that the nation would be filled with God-fearing men, would be filled with the fearful. And there are times and seasons of life throughout history and, and the history of nations, and nations uh, come and go, they rise up, they, they enjoy prosperity, but they also enjoy challenges and, and even defeat. Um, there's, there's no nation or empire that lasts forever except, you know, the kingdom of God. But there are times in, in the history of, of nations where we see prosperity, and sometimes those seasons can last a, a, a few generations, couple generations, and it's almost as if the, the psalmist is praying for this, for the, for the godly man, for those who fear the Lord, that they would live in this nation in, in, in such a time that, that it would be a time of prosperity and peace and blessing. Yeah, I think of our own nation, and, and there were times in our own nation where, um, you know, a whole generation, you know, there was a lifetime of prosperity, of blessing. You know, some of us, uh, you, you think of the, what we call the greatest generation. And even though they fought, fought during World War II and some of, uh, some of them grew up during the, the, the Great Depression, there's, there's a good amount of prosperity in our nation after the war. Um, you know, they, they, they witnessed prosperity probably like no other generation. And it's still... It's still, they're still experiencing it, in a sense. Peace. Um, there's, there's generations like that. And, you know, for, for most generations, there is a time of, you know, challenge, of, of war or of conflict. But there are generations throughout history and times and places where it is prosperous, it is blessing. Even in the, in the history of, of, of Israel. You know, we, we could look back in the history of Israel and, and throughout the Old Testament, you know, that history spans hundreds of years. But there's, there's times and places. Uh, you think in the beginning of Solomon's reign. It was a, a time of great prosperity and blessing. This is what the psalmist prays for the people, for the godly man, and for the nation itself. Dr. Will Varner, he says this, the godly man and his family's future is bound up in Zion's welfare and that of Israel. And so he, he prays that the fearful would live in a time of peace and prosperity, that the fearful would be a blessed generation. So he prays for national prosperity, and then he, he prays for familial prosperity, prosperity in the family. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And just as we think of generations and times and seasons in a person's life and the life of a nation, 
even for those who are upright and righteous and God-fearing, there are times and seasons within a nation that, you know, um, they will not see their children's children because of conflict, because of famine, because of war, because of natural disaster. It's outside of their control. But the psalmist prays for the, God, the godly man, the God-fearing man, that he would see his children's children. And in order to do that, he, he prays for peace upon Israel. He prays that the fearful would experience longevity, that the fearful would witness their own legacy, that the fearful would enjoy life in a peaceful nation. You think, you know, even, even as, uh, you know, the Apostle John writes in, in, uh, in his epistles, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. It says that almost in a spiritual sense, in, in a salvific sense, that they would be walking with the Lord. And certainly that, that's true, and that, that could, you could even draw that from here to see your children's children walking in the truth. But just to see your children's children and just to, to live in peace and prosperity, what a, what a blessing that would be. You know, uh, Solomon, at the end of his life, he, he writes uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. as he, He's looking back on his life, and, and God gave him, he answered his prayer, he gave him wisdom like no other. And, and there is a sense where in the beginning he used that wisdom for good, but then he, he tested himself to see the meaning of life. He tested himself with pleasure. And he writes about that in the beginning of Ecclesiastes. And he, he writes in the beginning, vanity of vanities. You know, what, what, what's it all mean? What's it all about? And he's searching himself, searching um, his exploits and, and trying to figure this out. And then he comes to the end of his life, comes to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 12 and verse 13, he says this, the end of the, ma- the, end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And just as you know, the psalmist throughout this whole psalm, Psalm 128, he is, he is um, pronouncing blessing on the God-fearing man, and, and he's praised for blessing. There, there is these principles of blessing for the God-fearing man, but it's not a precise, rock-solid, concrete truth because things happen in a sin-cursed world. And we, we, are not, we, we, we cannot control every circumstance or every, every issue in the world or even our family or our nation. And as devout and as obedient as we may be, things happen. And this is, in a sense, what Solomon is saying at the end of Ecclesiastes. As he says, you know, I, I built all these works, and, and what was that? And, and even for the wise man who labors, and he, he creates a wonderful things, who knows who will come after him and, and squander it all? And he says, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is a whole duty of man, because we do not know what a day may bring. We do not know what a month may bring. We do not know where we'll be one year from now. We don't not know if we're going to receive a terminal diagnosis 
next year or have a traumatic uh, accident? We don't know. But we do know that God is in control, that he has created us, and that he has ordered this world according to his uh, decrees, and he guides us, and he provides for us, and we are his. So we are to fear him and to keep his commandments. And even as Jesus said, do not, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has, it, has enough worry for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We leave tomorrow up to God, and we just fear him and keep his commandments. We follow him. We walk in all his ways. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, he writes this. If what was needed in Babylon was necessary for Jerusalem too and for our cities, then what is required is even more necessary for the spiritual city of which we are a part. The church is that city. It is the channel of God's grace, essential for our spiritual health. So we can never be merely individualistic believers. We need each other. Therefore, let us pray for our church and let us work for its good too. If it prospers, we will prosper. If God is blessing there, we will be blessed. And this is, in a sense, how the psalmist ends his psalm. He proclaims a blessing uh, on, on this proclamation of blessing on those who fear the, God, who fear the Lord, and, and, and then he prays for the Lord's blessing, blessing upon, um, upon Jerusalem, upon um, Israel, upon the community. And this is how we are to live. We are to be people who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways, who obey Him, who trust Him. And we are to pray for our families, for our community, for our church, for our nation, that we would live in communities and churches and and nations which fear the Lord, that are full of God-fearing people. Because not only will we be blessed if we fear the Lord and walk in his commandments, walk in his ways, but our nation will be blessed if it's full of God-fearing people and if its leaders fear the Lord. So that's how we live, that's how we pray. Heavenly Father, too often we live and we think and we um, go through this life and this world um, fearing circumstances, fearing uh, going without or not having all those things which we would like. And we lose sight of your providence, of your sovereignty, of your control, that we are accountable to you, that you have made us and that you have um, redeemed us and you have called us to walk in your ways. And truly, Lord, um, we have to confess that we don't fear you as we ought. So, Lord, we pray that you would increase our fear of you, our understanding of you, our awe of you, our reverence of you, and that in so doing, you would increase our worship of you, our obedience to you, that we would be pleasing to you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have not left us in the darkness, but have called us into your marvelous light through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and you have given us light and truth through your word and have given us this church and called us into one body. We pray that you would guide us and even guide us now as we consider the the business of the church. Help us to interact and to 
um, to make decisions in a way which would honor you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.